Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we experience rebellion in the land of Canaan. The nation splits in two, and both sides prove that human corruption is inescapable. Inescapable unless God himself stages an intervention. You're listening to Prism Bible. In step four, kingdom, we saw the establishment of the kingdom of Israel, and we briefly went through the first three kings, Saul, David, and Solomon. We learned about the Davidic covenant that included the promises of a dynasty, a throne, and an everlasting kingdom ruled by a future offspring of David. Later, we saw Solomon rise to the throne after his father David, and Solomon built the temple of God in the capital city of Jerusalem. Finally, we learned that things weren't going well under the surface of the kingdom. There was consistent division and power playing as people attempted overthrow of the rules of David and Solomon. Well, it happens with the death of Solomon that dramatic events begin to unfold in the kingdom. There was a man among Solomon's servants who had fled Israel and exiled himself in Egypt for Solomon's life. He was biding his time to rebel against Solomon's son, And upon Solomon's death, this rebel comes back to Israel. Instead of submitting to the rule of Solomon's son, this man splits the kingdom and becomes the new king of a rebellious portion of Israel. After this kingdom division, this new rebellious kingdom becomes known as the kingdom of Israel, while the portion that remains with Solomon's son is called the kingdom of Judah. The united kingdom under Saul, David, and Solomon has now been divided. Israel and Judah. From a geographical standpoint, the kingdom of Israel rules in the northern part of the land of Canaan, while the kingdom of Judah is in the southern part of the territory. Importantly, the kingdom of Judah retains the capital city of Jerusalem, the place where Solomon had built the temple for national worship of God. Now, with the fractious political situation, the northern kingdom of Israel had a problem. The king of the north becomes concerned that the people will go back to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple so he decides to set up a new system of worship for the kingdom of Israel. Instead of worshiping the true God at the temple in the south, this king sets up false gods made of gold for the people to worship instead. This sets off a spiraling chain of events within the northern kingdom. Setting up these false gods was explicitly against the law that God had given the people. One of the Ten Commandments said, You shall have no other gods before me. And yet, despite the clear command, the northern kingdom rebelled. As we speed through generation after generation of kings in the northern kingdom of Israel, we see continued rebellion against the law that God had set up. In fact, every king sins against God egregiously in one way or another, until eventually God responds to the people's sin. He sends them prophets, people who speak God's words on God's behalf with God's approval. He sends them with warnings to the kings and to the people. Their messages, while varied, do have a unifying theme. Turn away from your sin, or bad things will happen. Don't you remember that God gave this land to us? He can take it away, too. Messages with this character are given by God through the prophets. Yet the sin and rebellion of the northern kingdom doesn't stop. 
they are just speeding to a destination away from God. The prophets continue their warnings and warn of invasion of another nation. They warn that unless the nation turns from its rebellion, God will expel the Israelites by the hands of another nation. And soon this very thing comes to pass. Seeing opportunity for conquest, the Assyrian Empire sweeps in and conquers the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC. The wickedness and rebellion of the nation is vanquished as God allows an outside nation to conquer the northern kingdom. The people of the north are spread among the Assyrian Empire's territories. The formerly unified nation of Israel had been split, and now the majority has been exiled away from the land. Rebellion against God meant expulsion from the land, just like that first rebellion in the garden. Now, as we shift to the south, a similar story takes place in the kingdom of Judah. It's just a slower trend. The kings in David's dynasty, the dynasty that God promised would be an everlasting dynasty to David, well, they forget God's law and even lose record of it for a time. But despite a few periods of revival, they spiral into sin as well. And who does God send to warn them? That's right, prophets. These prophets issue similar warnings as the prophets did to the north, but they are specific to say that it won't be the Assyrian Empire that conquers the south. Rather, it will be the Babylonian Empire that conquers the kingdom of Judah. Despite these warnings and the impending invasion of Babylon, the people still do not turn back to God. Jeremiah is one of the major prophets during this time period, and we'll briefly focus in on his message to the southern kingdom of Judah. First, he talks about what's going to happen after the southern kingdom of Judah is conquered by Babylon. He says that for a period of 70 years, the people of Judah will be in exile. But after that 70 years of exile, they will be allowed to return to the land of Canaan once again. 70 years. That gives us a clock to remember as we move to the next part of the Bible story. God, through the prophet Jeremiah, has given hope to the people that at least a portion of them will be able to return to the land again. Next, Jeremiah declares new promises from God to the nation. And this is a key text in the Old Testament. This is from Jeremiah, chapter 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Through Jeremiah, God was telling the people that he was going to do something new. Instead of obedience to an external law like he gave them after that exodus from Egypt, sometime in the future he was going to put his teaching within them and write it on their hearts. So much so that they won't even have to teach each other about God, because everyone will know God. And that's not all. He caps off his promise, saying that he will forgive the sins of the people and won't recall them again. This is a central and massive promise by God that forms additional bedrock for the hope of the nation. 
They had tried in vain to follow the external law given through Moses after the Exodus. They had tried, but something inside them, their internal corruption and faithlessness, kept them from obeying it wholeheartedly. Even the best in their history had times of rebellion and sin. Instead, they needed God to change them from the inside out. They needed clean hearts without the corruption so inherent to the human race since the garden. They needed this new covenant, this new pledge from God full of wonderful promises. Promises to add to the promise of Eve's seed, Abraham's seed, David's dynasty, and an everlasting kingdom in the land of Canaan. With this additional new covenant, God is setting the stage for something big. And yet, while this hope is expressed, it's in the context of conquest. The people have been cast out of the land, and the nation is in exile for 70 years, while they await return to the land long ago promised to Abraham and his offspring. The people have been cast out of their land because of their sin against God. And here the story of the Bible has come to full echo. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden for disobedience, and now the whole nation of Israel has been cast out of the land for their disobedience. The great difference is this. God has made more promises. Change is coming, and it's coming soon. Join us next time as we meet a prophet in exile, one who has given a glimpse at the glorious future planned by God for his people and for the world. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.